It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Thursday, April 13th, 2023. I'm Brooke Schaefer with Raven News. Sitka's municipal elections may soon be getting a refresh. When the Sitka Assembly met Tuesday night, it approved on first reading code changes that would establish early voting as a new option for local voters. KCAW's Catherine Rose reports. In 2020, Sitka set a record for early voter turnout in the municipal election. Just over 1,300 people showed up to cast their ballots in the last weeks of September rather than on Election Day. But if you want to get technical, it wasn't actually early voting. It was absentee in person. Up until now, the only way to vote early in Sitka's municipal election each October is by voting absentee. But there's a big difference. Absentee votes aren't counted on election night. They're counted on the Friday following the municipal election, regardless of whether the vote was cast in person or through the mail. Even with the downside of waiting several days for your vote to count, Municipal Clerk Sarah Peterson says the absentee in-person option in Sitka has maintained popularity since she decided in the fall of 2020 to move the early polls from City Hall to Harrigan Centennial Hall as a COVID mitigation measure. The first year in 2020, we had about 1,300 people that voted in person prior to Election Day. Um, and then 2021, 2022, it's been about 700 to 800 people. Obviously, there was COVID concerns, um, social distancing and whatnot. But I think um, the ease of you know accessibility into Harrigan Hall, I think that plays a big factor um, into it, too. In 2022, 696 Sitkins voted early in person. That's more than double the absentee in-person votes from 2019. Under the new code, Sitkins will still have all of the absentee options, by mail, fax, in-person, or using a representative. But they'll have a new option, too. And if they choose to vote early in-person, they will see their votes counted on election night. The new code would also change the requirements for municipal election candidates. Current city codes suggest candidates must submit advocacy statements and biographical information to the city clerk's office in order for their names to be listed on the ballot. But it's not actually required. A language tweak would clarify that those documents are optional for candidates. But Assemblymember Crystal Duncan called for another language adjustment. The code sets a deadline for submitting those documents as 46 days before the election if candidates want the information displayed on the city's website. Duncan believed candidates who submit after the deadline shouldn't be penalized. We need to question, are the same candidates running? Are we reaching different pools who probably don't have experience running an election? For us, it was easy. For me, I had help. And so people were um, pushing me to get that submitted. I don't want to penalize someone and almost in a way exclude them because I know how hard it is to run for these seats. And until we see a body that's reflective of the community, I think I'm going to stress that we need to take those considerations into account. She asked Peterson if late submissions had been a recurring problem for her office, and Peterson said they hadn't been. So Duncan asked if they could remove the deadline altogether. But several assembly members said they preferred to keep the deadline in, including Tor Christensen. I know that Sarah would not. We'll make sure that they know their deadline is coming up. I can attest to that. So I don't have a problem with the deadline. I mean, you need to have a, a certain amount of, I guess, basic rules. And if they can't make that deadline, then again, they're not serious. Duncan made a motion to amend the code by striking the deadline language, but it failed for a lack of a second. 
No other concerns were brought to the table about the code change. Mayor Steven Eisenbeis thanked Peterson for bringing early voting forward. I think making voting more accessible to more people is definitely a win. I understand how it can be difficult for some to make it down on a particular day. Um, so your, your work in modernizing our voting system to, to the standards that are uh, in place elsewhere uh, is much appreciated. Thank you for that. The ordinance passed on a five to one vote with Assemblymember Duncan opposed. It will come before the Assembly for a final reading at the April 25th meeting. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Catherine Rose. It'll be at least another year before the first large cruise ships visit Prince of Wales Island. A consortium of native corporations working to transform a former logging dock in Klawak into a destination for tourists has delayed the cruise port's opening until 2024. The Oceana Cruises ship Regatta was originally scheduled to tie up at the dock owned by the village corporation Klawak Hina next month. The roughly 650-passenger vessel was originally slated to visit Klawak four times this summer. But getting the former logging dock ready for visitors is a big undertaking. Nick Nickerson, Klawak's mayor and a member of Klawak Hina's board of directors, says the port just isn't ready yet. Uh, we felt um, it would be better to wait a year. You know, that way we have everything lined up, all our ducks are in line, and we would have a better port to present, you know, to the tourism industry. According to Klawakinia, the port will include a welcome center, retail, a cafe, walking trails, historical displays, buses, and bathrooms once it's open. It's going to be done in stages. You know, we're looking at a port reception, um, a building reception. Of course, we have to develop, the, you know, a the port facility, you know, so the ship can come in and we're looking at transportation. The port is a collaboration between Klawakinia and Nadena, a partnership between Doyon Limited and Hana Totem Corporation. The project is modeled after Hana Totem's Icy Strait Point port in Huna. It's expected to be the first port to host large cruise ships on Prince of Wales Island. The U.S. Forest Service is asking the public to get involved in creating a 10-year forest management plan for the Tongass National Forest in southeast Alaska. The federal agency will be holding in-person workshops, virtual webinars, and community gatherings through June. The project is called the Southeast Alaska Sustainability Strategy, Forest Management, SAS-FM for short. Paul Robbins Jr. is a spokesperson for the Forest Service. He talked with Coast Alaska's Angela Denning about the public engagement effort. He says the federal agency is working from the ground up. In the past, the way the Forest Service worked, right, is we would come out with a 10-year plan. And we it would be open to public comment, but it would be public comment on a 10-year plan that the Forest Service created. In this case, there is no plan. We're asking, instead of commenting on a plan we made, that the public help us make the plan. The overall goal is for us to work with our tribes, partners, and communities to put together the full range of forest management activities and complete them in a way that meets the greatest diversity of public needs. That would be the goal of SAS-FM, and we're excited to get it started, and we hope as many people as possible uh, come out and talk to us and take part in this process. What would you ideally like to see with this public engagement process? Well, we have a couple of different things that we're trying to get out of it, right? So we want all the organizations that I mentioned to tell us what they want to see from forest management on the Tongass. What are the outcomes? 
that they want to see for themselves and their communities and, and their organizations. And then we also have a separate ask in there of identifying specific projects and locations where we can work collaboratively to get things done. SAS, FM, uh, Southeast Alaska, Sustainability Strategy Forest Management. That's a big term, right? Uh, that is all about integration, uh, integrated work. Multiple resource activities done under one effort to reach ecological, economic, and cultural benefit. So we want them to talk about what the overall outcomes they want to see. We also want to know specifically where and what they want us to do as far as forest management. And we also are taking uh, comments and input on our, what we call our assessment tool, which is a list of drafted criteria of what would move a project potentially to the top of our priority list for that 10-year plan. Can you give me some examples of projects that might be included in this? Well, under forest management, you're talking everything from uh, thinning, which is, you know, harvesting of trees in a stand uh, for the overall health of the ecosystem and the health of the trees that are supposed to be there, to watershed restoration, wildlife habitat enhancement, road building. There's, there's so many factors that go into what we do for forest management on the Tongass because we're multiple-use forests. On the second ask, we're actually asking for specific projects. What work do you want us to do and where? And how can we do it to where we're getting multiple resource activities done at once in the most uh, beneficial way possible? So you're taking public input in these kind of live public meetings, but also people can contribute just uh, by themselves online? Yeah, the public meetings, like the first 10 minutes or so, is going to be us giving a presentation on what this effort is because not everybody... You know, we'll see the press release or these stories or we're here. And so we definitely got to break it down. And then the majority of the meeting is just us answering questions and helping them work through this story map tool for submission. We're, we're trying to keep it all focused in this very easy to use and effective tool to take in all this information. Okay. How long do you think this process is going to last? Like how far out are you scheduling? Uh, right now we're looking to do this all the way through the end of June. And uh, could go longer than that because I mentioned the tribal consultations, which are a legal requirement, and we're going to keep doing this until all of those are done. But we're hoping around June 30th is when we can be wrapping up most of this. Paul Robbins Jr. is a spokesperson for the Forest Service. He spoke with Coast Alaska's Angela Denning. You can find more information about SAS FM and links to the comment boxes on our website, kcaw.org. I'm Brooke Schaefer, and this has been Raven News. And now taking a look at the weather for Sitka for today, Thursday, April 13th, 2023. Today, showers likely, mainly before 4 p.m. Cloudy with a high near 42. Southwest winds around 10 miles per hour. Chance of precipitation is 70%. New precipitation amounts between a quarter and half of an inch possible. You're tuned in to Raven Radio, KCAW in Sitka. Good morning.